Do the Transformers from Generation 1 live up to the memories that we have as a kid? My name is Matt Freights, and this is the first episode of Energon Entries. Let's get it. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the first episode of Energon Entries, a Transformers talk podcast. My name is Matt Freights, and I will be your host from here on out. I am a co-host of another show called Iceman and Coach, and I am also the host of Fire Footwear, which is a sneaker podcast. And lately, I have been watching episodes of Transformers with my son. And over the last few days, I've thought to myself, I wonder if there are other Transformers podcasts out there. And I decided to go ahead and look, and I've been listening to some of the stuff that's out there. And while it is good, and I think that it does fit a certain niche out there for Transformers fans, to me, it just left some things lacking. And I wanted to do a little bit of a different spin on the Transformers because it's a cartoon that I have a lot of fond memories of, and I just wanted to see if it held up. I just want to be clear about this. This episode and this show, this podcast, is not going to break any new ground. I am not an expert in Transformers. I have not seen just about every single episode of Transformers outside of the Generation 1 and the movie. Of course, I've seen some of the Bayverse stuff, but I know that there is a ton of Transformers canon out there in terms of comic books, in terms of shows and cartoons, and I'm not here to be an expert on this and break this down in a way that is going to satiate many of you who may be coming to this because you are looking for super detailed and super nuanced talk about the Transformers. The objective that I'm trying to meet here is I just want to talk about it from the lens of a 40-year-old man, which is what I am now. And if you think about when the Transformers came out, 1984, where was I then? I was one year old. So I didn't actually get into the Transformers until I was a little bit older, probably five or six. And at that point, it had gone way past what Generation 1 was and had been moving on to another phase of the Transformers that was so still in its infancy that I didn't even really understand what I was watching. What I knew in my mind is I loved cars, I loved robots and all that kind of stuff. And so this obviously worked for me. And as the years have gone on, I have obviously looked back at that time in my life and always had a fondness for Transformers. There's always been a tinge of nostalgia whenever it came to Transformers. And I had all of these very visceral memories of listening and watching the shows. And the movie obviously stuck with me over time to the point that I continued to watch it. And I think, just like many people who are probably listening to this, I pretty much have that movie memorized. Whenever it comes on, I can pretty much go word for word verbatim from start to finish because that is how imprinted it is in my brain. I watch it as a kid, I watch it as a teen, and even sporadically watch it as an adult. I think I even have the Blu-ray of it sitting not far from where I am sitting behind this microphone. So the Transformers has always meant something to me. And when I became a father in 2020, I thought to myself, I wonder if I'm going to do that dad thing where I try and attempt to pass down these sort of traditions that I have that I remember very fondly when I was a kid. And lately, my son has been very much into vehicles and very much into robots, and so I decided to broach the subject with him, and he has been enjoying the entire ride of watching the Transformers. My son is three and a half years old, so when he watches the Transformers, he doesn't understand exactly what he is looking at, 
But as he has continued to watch it, and I've watched episodes with him, he doesn't watch them in order, by the way, so there is something to be said about that. But he's starting to recognize characters and starting to fall in love with characters. And I remember how I felt back then. And so the entire point of this podcast is to look at it now and watch them now from the prism of all the life experiences that I've had and really answer the question of do they hold up while having some mildly humorous interactions and mildly humorous observations about these things. Over the course of time, I'm sure this will evolve. I do know other people who are in a relatively same age bracket as me who want to be a part of this, who do want to talk Transformers, and so we may do that here. But for this particular episode, I'm going to start from episode one, More Than Meets the Eye, part one. And I want to start with that because I think it's very important to go back to the beginning. There are obviously things that predate this, but this is where my Transformers love starts. I remember watching this as a kid, probably going to the video store and getting the VHS of it. I'm sure my parents had to go multiple times to get that. I remember having the Generation 1 toys. And so it really started here, my love for this show. And so I went back to it to watch it from the very beginning. And it's funny because when it starts, the intro to it is very, very exposition-y because there's the narrator, that very iconic voice. I'm sure it was somebody who got paid a lot of money to do it because I'm pretty sure that they narrated a lot of other Transformers content. But immediately I was sucked into the nostalgia because I remember that voice. But then I had to get out of that nostalgia because I'm watching this from a critical point of view or not a critical point of view, but at least a different observation point of view. And immediately they go into the war from Cybertron and they show you Cybertron. And when you're looking at it, you're thinking, wow, that doesn't look good. That planet doesn't look very livable. And what they have told you is that there has been a war over a very, very long time. So I understand now that we're picking this up from the fact that, okay, a lot of time has passed and this war is here. So the Decepticons and the Autobots have pretty much established themselves of where they are. And what I gathered is that this is a very, very dire situation, more specifically for the Autobots. Cybertron is war-torn, which you can actually extrapolate that to today because we are on the brink of war, it seems like, every single day. And so maybe this is kind of a precursor of where we are as humans. 40 years ago, we didn't know that, but maybe it is, I'm just saying. And so Cybertron is in dire shape. The Autobots are desperately looking for energy because the planet itself has been sucked dry from this war. The Decepticons pretty much own Cybertron at this point, and they're looking to basically keep the Autobots away from any energy sources that they can find. But what you find out, and it seems like it it happens really, really quickly, is you find out that both of these parties, the Autobots and the Decepticons, are kind of in the same situation. They both are trying to keep the other from getting what they want, but they also need some things for themselves. And I think they both recognize, I'm not sure that we can do it on this planet. And they may be holding on to this thought that they can somehow stay on Cybertron and save it without having to intervene from some third party. And I think that eventually the Autobots figure this out before because Wheeljack and Bumblebee come back with their energy. They look like fluorescent lights. And basically, they've realized this is all that we could find. And I think we need to do something different. Some things that happened in the interaction up until then is I've noticed that they ran into a little bit of an issue because with the animation being from the 1980s, they were limited back then. It's a lot different today. Today, there's so much more flexibility in just content creation in general. But obviously, all of the tools that we have on computers and the computerization of animation is you can pretty much change things on the fly and make sure that there is no mistake at all in any of the animation that you put out. Rarely do you find that. But back in the 80s, there were a lot of mistakes. So Wheeljack and Bumblebee are doing their thing. They look robot form like what they're going to look like on Earth. So that's an interesting thing because they kind of look like they're going to transform into a car, although they're giving you this past and exposition of Cybertron. 
And when they transform, they transform into these sort of like spacey looking things, which is fine because you definitely would think that they'd look different on an alien planet than they would on Earth. But we'll get to that in a minute. And so as they're trying to get this energy back to wherever it is they're going, they're trying to find Optimus Prime and the Autobots, they come upon some Decepticons. And these Decepticons look very, very familiar and they're the Seekers. So you look at Skywarp, you look at Thundercracker. And what's funny is you see Starscream and Starscream speaks. It's the first Decepticon to speak and it's a completely different voice. And that made me laugh out loud because this is the 80s. These kinds of things are going to happen. And so it's sort of the first step in what is going to be a long line of these kind of mistakes. So I found that to be kind of funny, to be honest with you. So there's gonna be inconsistent voices, inconsistent animations. And what's great though, is that they show all of this. And in retrospect, all of these things are fun to look at because the Transformers spend so much time on Earth, especially in season one, that you don't get to hear a lot about Cybertron. So when they start this whole thing on Cybertron and you see just how bad it is, you kind of get that emotional pull for the Autobots. Like you're like, all right, I'm pulling for them to win. So Optimus Prime obviously decides that they need to go to Earth or they need to go find something. They don't even know it's Earth. They just know that they need to go find something. And they get on their ship, which is ironically called the Ark. It's ironic that they call it the Ark because not every single Autobot and Decepticon get on it, just a select few of them as we're gonna find out as the show progresses and they leave. This obviously establishes the Decepticons' treachery at this point because what we find out and what's going to be a common theme later is that Laserbeak seems to find himself in the most convenient positions ever. And Soundwave, for some inexplicable reason, was able to transform into something that lived right out of Iacon, which is basically where the Autobots were living at the time. And so it's kind of convenient when the Decepticons can somehow manage to intercept every single piece of information that the Autobots have. So they intercept these plans, they know the Autobots are gonna leave, and they follow them. All these different spacey sort of things happen. There's a meteor shower, there's two ships, there's a boarding chute, blah, 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 blah. What ends up happening is after this big fist fight on the Autobot arc, both the Decepticons and the Autobots crash into Earth. And they tell you that four million years passed. So now four million years goes by, there's some kind of a rumble in this volcano, and Teletran 1 comes back. So the first question that I have, of course, is, well, where has Teletran 1 been for the last four million years? Why did it not do anything for four million years when it's theoretically and supposedly supposed to be the smartest computer on the face of the universe? So Teletran 1 decides, you know what? It's time to explore this planet finally. So it sends this little probe out and it decides, I'm gonna start putting together these robots. And it decides to put together a Decepticon first. And my initial question in my mind, which is probably, again, thinking too much about this because it's a cartoon about robots, was how did Teletran not know that that was a Decepticon? I'm not sure, but it's interesting because Skywarp gets put together first and Skywarp does the commander thing and says, you know what, let's get the leader here. Thank goodness Teletran didn't put Starscream together because he would have just put together all the Decepticons and left Megatron there for dead. So all the Decepticons get put out or put back together. They fly away. You already now know that Starscream is gonna be insubordinate because you hear this on Cybertron and now that they're back, Starscream decides that he wants to literally bury the Autobots, who are already dead, at least supposedly already dead, and Megatron says, no, don't do that. He says it a lot differently, but basically says, no, you fool, don't do that. Starscream doesn't listen to him, and that plan backfires because somehow the shaking of all of those rocks slips Optimus Prime into the beam for Teletran 1, puts him back together, and all he does is get up and say, thanks. And then they cut to another scene. It's kind of a ridiculous scene, and I realized at the time had that come out today, that would have 100% been a meme because he just puts his thumbs up and says, thanks. And so maybe it's a meme that I'm gonna use from now on because it actually works out perfectly. So at this point, the Autobots are here, the Decepticons are here, and they both realize that a lot of time has passed. Now Megatron just sort of says that, but how does he know that? I mean, I guess he can guess, 
because it feels that way. Maybe you can feel like a lot of time has passed, but four million years is a lot of time. In theory, when they crash landed on Earth, there were dinosaurs, and now there are not. There's people and humans. So the Decepticons go out and try to find the first thing that they need to get back to Cybertron, and that's energy. And this is going to start what ends up being the theme of just about every single episode throughout the entirety of the Generation 1 of Transformers. The Decepticons are looking for energy. The Autobots are constantly on their heels trying to react and make sure that they don't get it. And so this is what happens in the first episode. But we get some interesting exposition things as well. When the Autobots come on, they've got to go to the oil rig and they do a roll call. And this is how you find out who these Transformers are, because up until now, it's only been casual mentions of who these people are. So now you get an idea of who all the robots are, and they do their thing, transform and roll out. They drive to the oil rig, but then somehow, inexplicably, they're now flying to the oil rig, which is interesting because I thought that Autobots couldn't fly, or that's the way I used to always remember it. So they fly to this oil rig, and they have this huge sort of thing, and the Decepticons end up getting the better of them. It ends with this huge fire. Everything here happens, and here we are. And so it's interesting because a lot happens in this episode, but they make it a cliffhanger. One thing to note about the way that 80 shows were made is that there was always a pilot. For the most part, if it was a non-cartoon, you'd do a pilot episode and hope that it was good enough that you get signed on for another series. It's way different today. You get signed on for an entire season, and then you decide later on if you're going to continue by doing another season after that, and you hope that you get signed for more seasons after that. But in this case, this seemed like it was made in three parts because they wanted to cram as much stuff as possible to try and convince the studio that this is going to be a good show. Ultimately, I actually liked the first episode because it's fun. I mean, it's the introduction to the Autobots and Decepticons. You get that feeling of nostalgia, hearing all the voices, getting back into the familiarity of it, seeing all the characters. But one thing I did notice is that it was a very small group of Autobots and a very small group of Decepticons. And so in my mind, I know that this is going to set the stage for the addition of a ton of other robots moving forward because it's going to mean a bunch of different toys. And so that's the takeaway that I had. So the episode ends with a huge cliffhanger. What's going to happen here? And I think that it's interesting because the fact that there were all these things that I remember, but things that I don't remember as well. And I think that that's the interesting part from my mind. But overall, I did enjoy it. I thought it was fun. And I'm really excited for the next round. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. There is no social media to plug or anything like that. Like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm just honestly using this as a side project to have fun and possibly maybe one day engage with other people who enjoy Transformers the way that I do, casually, with that nostalgia, and really trying to almost reintroduce myself to it to become familiar with it as a 40-year-old. And so I appreciate everybody tuning in this week. I appreciate you giving me your listening ear. And if you want to ever connect about Transformers or you have some insight into how I could maybe better immerse myself in it from here on out after Generation 1 is over, you can email me at mattyicemedia at gmail.com. Matty Ice Media is my company, my podcast company. You can visit mattyicemedia.com for the other podcasts that I do and other podcasts that we have as a part of our network. That's really where I get some engagement. So if you are listening to this and you find it and you want to meet another Transformers enthusiast, I'm always here for you. Thanks again for listening. I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And I will talk to you for episode two next time. This is Energon Entries.
The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Energon entries are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Energon Entries is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.